everyone, and welcome to the North County Beat. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle. In today's bonus episode, we will hear what the COVID-19 situation looks like from the hospital's front lines. But first, a shout out to the North County Beat sponsor, Casa de Bandini at the Forum in Carlsbad. They're now serving takeout so you can get all the fresh, authentic flavors you love at home, plus delicious margaritas to go. The Coast News and Casa de Bandini are teaming up to give away $50 gift cards for some great food and drink. For details, follow at Coast News on Instagram. So even though outdoor dining has resumed and other businesses are starting to reopen, many hospitals in San Diego County have been under enormous pressure as ICU bed capacity still remains on the low end. Today's guest is witnessing this firsthand. Dr. Kevin Shaw is a familiar voice on the North County Beat. He's a critical care physician at Scripps Memorial Hospital in Encinitas, and he works with COVID patients in the ICU. Given the current situation in the hospitals, I wanted to get his perspective on the pandemic as it stands right now. It's been particularly brutal at the hospital, and so like, I'm yeah. freaking out that pe- you know a lot of people are getting complacent and bored uh, and tired of it, which, you know, it's a human thing. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But I, have, I mean, I've had so many people get sick and intubated and, and die within the last, you know, couple of weeks. Who, you know, because I always talk to people, so, you know, do you know who you got it from? Did you have anybody in your family that was sick? Da, 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 da. And I've heard so many times people say, "Oh, we've been, you know, we've been so careful," and then we decided just to get together. We, we were so yeah. careful, and we decided we were just going to do one dinner with the family. Or one, and it's just like that one, you know, this woman who had just turn i think she's like 88 or something she's kind of an older woman but very like spry very with it and everything and um she was telling me that her a lot of her family has birthdays around the same time in december so they decided like just to cheat this one time they're all going to get together in december um and uh and several members of her family got sick and she ended up dying it was just so devastating and of course her family was like you know, blaming themselves and everybody was devastated because, you know, they sort of acknowledged the risk and decided to take it. And then, you know, grandma died. Oh, that's like the hardest thing. And I think I've heard a lot of similar stories where it's like the one time that people do something and that's when it hits the worst. And yeah, it's hard. I mean, and you talked about the hospital and I know like San Diego County has been, like the hospitals have been kind of rough. Like, can you elaborate on what's the situation at uh, Scripps and Sanitas right now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's unlike anything I've ever uh, experienced, you know, ever since since practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, the, the sheer volume of patients, the acuity, um, the lack of resources. When I, when I say resource, I don't just mean you know, ventilators, you know, we think about resources, are, you know, are we out of ventilators? You know, we, we would be out of ventilators, frankly, except we fortunately had rented and purchased quite a few. Um, although we are low on ventilators, we're not out, but we are out of a, a lot of other things. And one of the things that, that we're out of, probably more than anything, is just, you know, humanity. We're out of manpower. We don't have enough nurses. Um, in some places, we don't have enough doctors. A lot of places, we don't have enough doctors, although at Scripps and Sanitas, we, you know, somewhat fortunately and coincidentally, but had just had just brought on a few more partners within the last year. So we, we okay. do have more people, but, but we are out of nurses. We are out of technicians. We're out of rooms. We're out of physical space. Um, we running out of oxygen supplies. We actually ran out of sterile water. I mean, you think of how can a hospital 
run out of water. But, but, you know, when we use a lot of these high oxygen flow devices, you know, they have to be humidified because you can't dry out people's airways and, and cause problems that way. So they're humidified with these sterile water, you know, bags and bottles and stuff. And we, we literally are, are running out of sterile water. So, you know, it's simpler than just, Oh, you know, we need more machines. I mean, we, <laughs> I would have thought running out of water would be an issue. Um, yeah. you know, medications, you know, everything, just everything is on, you know, back order and replaced. And, um, but, but yeah, beyond materials, which is early on in this thing, everyone was freaking out about buying enough ventilators. And it turns out, you know, it's the, it's the human cost. The, yeah. we can't get enough uh, nurses to work the hours. And, um, you know, most of our nurses, if not all, but, but most of our nurses are working more than their usual allotment of shifts. A lot of the ICU nurses, are working a lot more than their usual allotment, you know, working uh, six, seven, eight days in a row in some cases. And, you know, most nurses on a typical schedule in most hospitals work three days a week. I mean, that's a typical nurse schedule. They work three 12-hour days. When I hear about the picture in the hospital, in the hospitals right now, it's super grim. And I talked to a county supervisor and I asked him about that. His big thing was that San Diego's numbers get lumped in with L.A. as a part of a SoCal region when the state decides who's going to be purple tier, who's going to be this and that, and the, the severity of regulations. And, and I was like, well, okay, yeah, so L.A. definitely is more densely populated and the numbers just looking at the number itself, the cases are higher there. But at the same time, I, I told him, I was like, well, how do you explain like the grim picture in our hospitals then if you – if you think that San Diego should be easing up a little bit. And he did. He said, like, I know the pictures are grim. Like, I think the first responders kind of thing. But it's hard. It's hard to understand, like, why it is so bad right now that we've gotten to this point where you're saying it's the worst that you've ever seen it in the hospitals. Yet you have people saying, oh, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, every time I hear somebody say something, about how it's okay or it's not that bad. I said, you know, I, I wish you could come just spend an hour with me at the hospital. I mean, the other morning, you know, between when I started work, I got to work at about 5.30 in the morning, between 5.30 and maybe 10 or 11 o'clock. I think we'd had, you know, two or three code blues, three or four rapid responses. Several patients had been intubated. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for three days in a row, we had intubated a person before like 7 or 7.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's, for a hospital the size of our hospital, that is not typical. You know, that's that's very busy, and it makes it harder when it's you know you don't have places to put these folks. Um, and, you know, the manpower and everything. You know, our our specific hospital at Scripps Encinitas, we are licensed. You know, as far as the state of California and everything, we are licensed for twelve ICU beds. And of course, sometimes you know any hospital in certain situations may have to go over their number of licensed beds if there's emergencies you know i mean natural disasters or whatever you know things happen but but we have we have been way over our our number of licensed beds for weeks um you know we've been between like you know 20 and 25 icu beds when we we physically only have 12 so so where's the other 12 or 13 coming from well we you know we turn those beds into icu beds those aren't really icu beds and we're putting people in recovery rooms patients not icu patients at the moment but we have patients in uh in the parking lot in a tent and we have patients in the cast room you know they call it the the ortho cast room which is literally the room where they store like the fiberglass to put casts on you know on your neighbor's kid when he breaks his ankle and we have patients in those rooms Um, these are not you know intended for patient care but 
we don't have anywhere else to put people. I mean, there's people in hallways. There's there's a whole section of the hospital that has traditionally been um, single person rooms that are designed for one one patient. We're now putting two patients in each room, so there's just two beds next to each other, like you know, a curtain between them. And um, we're finding ways to to try and service our community in a, in a time of great need, and it's in a in a fashion in a way that none of us have really ever experienced before barring you know anyone who may have volunteered in a natural disaster or done you know national guard work or humanitarian work overseas uh which you know several of our staff members have done some of that stuff but but that's kind of the only comparison and several of my colleagues you know i have some some good friends that work in our emergency room and, and several of them have all said the exact same thing that i've been saying to people which is you know that i feel like you know, I'm, I'm in a battlefield or I feel like I'm, you know, doing medicine in the army or something because, you know, there's tents and there's cots and there's um, there's good enough sometimes because we just we can't do what we really need to do or what we consider to be sort of the normal standard of, of appropriate care for these folks. And, and it's a lot of, you know, just getting getting as much care to them as you possibly can while trying to spread the benefit. You know, it's, it's almost like community medicine. Um, because I'm thinking I need to treat the whole population within the hospital, not just this one patient in front of me. Because if I spend three hours in this one room, you know, that's 10 other patients I'm not going to be able to see or go check on, or, you know. So it's it really is just trying to divide up your time and divide up your resources. And I think something at, like, the crux of this, or something at least anecdotally that I'm seeing is – you have folks in the hospital, the situation you're describing, like there's the tent set up. And I'm like, oh my God, like that's literally what it's looking like. But then you also have more and more people getting infected. And a lot of people, at least again, anecdotally that I know, get COVID, you know, they're out of commission for eight days, maybe lose their taste and smell, cough, make a funny TikTok video about not being able to taste or smell. And then they're like, okay, well, that wasn't that bad. Like I'm still going to go live my life and do whatever I want to do and then the people that they know are influenced by that by saying oh yeah whatever like I get it I get it and and because they don't they don't necessarily see what you're saying it, it they can't really connect to it I'm noticing I guess I'm asking if you could draw that connection for those people who are like oh I got COVID I didn't die I was fine whatever I'm done like yeah. I'm gonna live my life and then what you're seeing like why people sure. are still dying well you know statistically most young people who are in decent shape are not going to die, right? And in fact, statistically, most people that are a little bit older that do have comorbidities, most of them are not going to die. I mean, that's just statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, but a much higher number of them will compared to, you know, most other respiratory illnesses. And, you know, you could apply that same logic to a lot of things. And it's interesting that you point that out because not everybody has the same response, right? You can say breast cancer, right? Who in their right mind, at least publicly, would downplay the severity of breast cancer or make fun of breast cancer, make a TikTok video about how they, you know, we're not. Because a lot of people get breast cancer and survive breast cancer. You know, they get a lumpectomy. There's varying levels of how aggressive certain people have to be, but a lot of people survive breast cancer, right? Mm -hmm. But a lot of people don't. And we certainly wouldn't downplay how important it is to get mammograms and be careful. But, but for some reason, because uh, of, of, you know, in in part a political machinery, 
that is trying to preserve an economy and, and so downplaying some of this stuff and also you know trying to make certain politicians look maybe better than than they deserve to look um it really has become more than just a medical thing it's become almost like a political cult and you know it's not that common that that medical illnesses are political um you know hiv perfect example right very political was political still kind of is but was for a long time but that's about it right most cancers are not political but but SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 has become, and, you know, and it's true what you said that a lot of people do great. And that's fantastic because the less patients I have to, um, you know, call their families and tell them that they're not doing well, the better, but, but there's a lot more relative to most other respiratory illnesses, um, certainly that that we deal with on a, on a sort of year to year basis. Um, that that are just so much worse. This is something I've been trying to wrap my head around. So some folks don't really see the pandemic as a big deal anymore. They're not high risk and they just kind of want to go out and like have fun and live their lives. And it would almost seem like the only way that they'd be willing to acknowledge the severity of COVID is if someone close to them were to really struggle with the virus. And of course, like you would never wish that on anybody, but it is hard to understand why it's been so difficult to rally people who haven't been severely affected by COVID and to kind of get them to care about it enough to change their behavior. The thing, you know, that to me makes this, you know, particular and, and, and unique and, and problematic with this stuff is, you know, if this were an illness where the people who said, I don't care, got sick and died but the you know their um people around them didn't get it you know if this was like a, an individual thing and we're talking about individual freedoms mm. i i really wouldn't push that hard for people to do the things we talk about i mean it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know doing drugs uh riding a motorcycle without a helmet mm. um you know being an alcoholic i mean certainly i would say it's probably not a great idea and it has an impact on you and on your family you know all those things we know yeah but it's not like it's infectious in this way. It's not like if I'm going to be the person who decides to smoke, everybody that I meet at the mall becomes a potential lung cancer victim also. You know, you know it, that those are individual choices, and I allow people to make individual choices even if I don't think they're, you know, that that intelligent or if I wouldn't agree with it. You know, I respect people, their right to make individual decisions. Like, I think that's yeah. personally maybe I'm getting political, but, I, you know, I think that's fine. Yeah. But this is different because my behavior affects my, you know, 82-year-old neighbors and my grandparents and the teachers of my children and the spouses of the teachers of my children. I mean, it, I have seen just so many times this web of this person affects this person. I'll give you a great example. I had a guy who was very, very careful the entire pandemic, stayed home. He knew he was at high risk. He was obese, had diabetes had a little bit of heart disease, and he was just very, very careful not to go outside. And his wife, who was a little bit younger, a little bit healthier, was a nurse, is a nurse, and worked in a clinic and found out after the fact that one of her coworkers, who definitely should have known better, was sick and was coming to work sick and was hiding her symptoms until basically she got too sick and had to stay home, mm-hmm. but knew she was sick and didn't want to call in. Maybe she was afraid to have coronavirus or didn't want to have to miss work. I don't know. But lo and behold, she had coronavirus, gave it to my patient's wife who brought it home unknowingly, gave it to him. 
Mm. And he died. So, you know, somebody who went to work inappropriately, knew she shouldn't have gone to work, killed her co-worker's husband. You know, that that is different from individual choices in my face, my mask, my choice or whatever like that. Those are not the same thing. Yeah, it's like that personal responsibility piece of it is so is like a big part of the response in a way like a lot of people might say, Oh, personal responsibility will solve everything, but it's like when, when personal responsibility like when when the thing that you should be doing could affect and like potentially like kill a lot of other people, that's when I think it gets a little bit of a gray area. It's not always so easy to say that's the answer. <laughs> yeah, well there used to be you know, I'm probably gonna misquote it because it's been a long time since yeah. I've heard it properly spoken, mm-hmm. but there used to be some saying or some phrase about, you know, individual freedom. You know, my fist is completely free to go as far as it wants until it impacts somebody's face. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm probably maybe not quoting <laughs> it perfectly, but there, yeah. it's basically saying like, you know, you have the ability to do whatever you want until it affects somebody else adversely. Yeah, and, and that's kind of like the way I see this is, you know, if you want to behave in your certain way, fine. Except this is different because you are impacting everybody around you. There's just, I mean, I could literally bore you and your audience for hours about all the stories I've heard. You know, and and Kelly, I don't want to, I don't want to violate her privacy, but I will sort of paraphrase as we're on the phone with each other here having this nice conversation about coronavirus in the hospitals. Mm -hmm. One of our ICU nurses who is um, one of the greatest human beings in the entire world, really, truly, um, and also just an amazingly good nurse, just um, texted me comments about tears and having such a hard time and it's been the hardest day. Mm -hmm. And a patient that we were struggling with yesterday um, just passed away, a guy that we were struggling with trying to help out and, and, yeah, I mean, it's That's there's so a huge hard. emotional toll, and you know, she's a very strong person and an incredibly capable nurse. And, yeah, you know, and, and I mean, this is the human toll that I'm seeing every single day as my my colleagues, the nurses I work with that I respect so much because they're amazing. I'm seeing I'm seeing them in tears. I'm seeing doctors in tears, technicians. I mean, everybody. Yeah, personal toll is real. That's so hard. That's so. Sad. And and we're, and we're not, you know, we're not the the spouses. We're just the ones seeing it. You know, the toll is real for all their families, of course, too. So. The thing surrounding regulations and everything, and, and the lockdowns and purple tier and all of this stuff. So, I guess. I was like, okay, stay at home. Like that makes a lot of sense and and we can all kind of stop the spread. But as you and I have kind of talked about, people end up doing what they're going to do anyway. And and to give an example, we, you know, outdoor dining, like people will do takeout and then if there's nowhere to eat outside, they'll just end up eating like on a public bench or whatever or like gathering in other areas. So it's like, it's almost like you're still seeing people gathering, but they just don't have a place to do it regulated. And it almost reminded me of like the safe injection site argument of like, oh, if people are going to shoot up anyway, let's do it in a supervised way. And I'm, I'm just, that was where my mind has been going over the past weekend, just seeing people out and about and like eating outdoors in that kind of way. So my question here is with regards to regulations, I mean, do you think that it would almost be safer to quote unquote loosen up, still do things by way that are like by the safety measures that are approved and, and appropriate, but like allow people to start doing things so at least it could be regulated? Or like, is no. this total? No. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> no, I wanted sorry. your medical because you're, yeah, you're in this. So I just wanted to know what your thoughts were. 
I mean, it's that same thing, you know, we're talking about you're about to get off the off, you're getting off the off ramp. I mean, we are, we are so close and there, there are thousands of thousands of people who have been vaccinated, but I mean, it, it's happening and we have the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine. They're, they're both being distributed. There's major vaccination sites. We have, you know, Petco Park is doing this major vaccination uh, thing. You know, I just was speaking to a, a, a coworker of mine whose wife, uh, who's in the medical field, just got vaccinated down at Petco Park and just talking about, you know, how amazing it was and what a great job they did. So well organized. And this stuff is only getting better and better. Um, So, no, I mean, I, again, as I've said to you before, Kelly, it really is hard if you're you're a restaurant owner, if you own a bar, if you own a, you know, a hair salon or something. I mean, this is a terrible time financially, and I, I totally sympathize. But I think we need to just hang tight and give it another couple months and we can save a lot of dead Americans. I mean, there's over 400,000 people have died from coronavirus and, and you know, it's going to, it's going to probably climb quite a bit higher than that before, before this settles down. So, you know, now is not the time to start loosening up. Now is the time just to sit on it, you know, hatch that egg we're so close <laughs> and when it's your turn to get the vaccine get it and let it work and, and and save yourself and your family and save your loved ones who who you're around especially if you're somebody who's leaving the house and coming back and you have older parents or, or other family members that are going to be exposed to you um you know it's like doubly important that you are as careful as you can be because you're, you're responsible for more lives than your own right now yeah, it's definitely tough right now. And I don't envy policymakers because obviously they want to protect public health with the guidelines. But at the same time, you have struggling businesses figuring out how to survive. And you have, you know, the do what you want to do people who are going to go out to places that might be breaking the rules just because they, you know, don't see why not. So that must be pretty frustrating for you, like given your position in all of this. I love eating at restaurants and, um, I love socializing and I love New Year's parties, but um, I don't know. I guess I'm trying to see the big picture. And, of course, you know, I I acknowledge that that my view is different from most people's, right? Most physicians, nurses, medical assistants see different things with regard to coronavirus than people who are not in the medical field. But, But me, you know, I specifically see something that even most people in the medical field don't see, which is I am the ICU doctor for a COVID ward. You know, I, I, I see it as much as, as much as anybody really. Um, yeah. And uh, so you know, my view is, my view, my view is skewed. I, I, I get that. Um, but you know, this is my opinion from where I'm sitting and totally. this is the advice I give to my friends and family. I sure hope we can just buckle down and, and be safe for another couple months until we all, or at least most of us, or those of us who, I guess, who want it, um, can can get access to the vaccine and get vaccinated. I know myself and, and all my medical colleagues um, were thrilled to get our vaccine uh, when those of us who got it were able to do it. And, you know, I was in line at six in the morning waiting for mine because I have a family and I have in-laws and I have, you know, other people that are around us. And so it's my responsibility, not just to myself and my patients, but to you know, my kids and then my kids' teachers. And, you know, this, I mean, this is, this is a web and it's not just us. It spreads to everybody. That's all we have for you on this bonus episode of the North County Beat. Remember to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you're looking for more delightful local podcast content, check out the podcast directory on thecoastnews.com. We now have five different shows focusing on news, life, and culture in North County, San Diego. Make sure you check those all out. And some thank yous on the way out today. Our podcast manager is Ryan Woltz. Coast News Editor-in-Chief is Jordan Ingram. Our associate publisher is Chris Kidd. And our publisher is Jim Kidd. Thanks to all of you for listening and supporting the North County Beat. I'm your host, Kelly Kyle, and we will talk to you next time.